0: This lasts. Keep this on until I have to take it off. Luke chapter 10, let's make sure that our cell phones are on silent, please, and let's focus in. Whether it is hot or not, like you said, Brother Jesse, we are just thankful to be here. (laughs) This reminds me of the Amazon when I preached in Brazil for Brother Hernandez. And uh, I asked him, I said, do I need to bring a suit and tie? And he said, you can if you wish, but, you will probably throw it away after you wear it for the first time. So, no suits, no ties down there. I think, no, I think I did wear a tie. I think I did wear a tie, yeah. And after I was done, it was two shades darker because of the, because of the sweat, so, but no, but no suit. So, we might go, we might go Amazon tonight. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Now, this is just to give it some context here, but we're really gonna focus on the story Uh, That is told from verse 30 and then through verse 37. But let's start here in verse 25. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Seems like an innocent enough question. Seems like a good question. But what the Bible is showing us is that he's trying to trick him here. He's trying to catch him in something. He said unto him, Jesus said unto the lawyer, What is written in the law? How readest thou? I mean, you're a lawyer, you tell me. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, if we did not have those four words, willing to justify himself, we might read into that verse as the man sincerely asking, who is my neighbor? How do I show love to my neighbor? How do I, who, who am I supposed to, supposed to focus this love on? But with those four words, willing to justify himself, you have to read this with a little bit of snarkiness that he looks back at Jesus and who is my neighbor? And what he's trying to say is I- I've, done, I've done all of that and your answer to this next question, who is my neighbor, is going to prove that I have already done everything that is necessary in order to inherit eternal life, which means your gospel that you are sharing is really not correct. <laughs> we following? Okay. So then Jesus says this. Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him. He came a little closer than the priest did. Came and looked on him And passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, half Jew, half Gentile, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him, went further than even the Levite did and went definitely further than the priest did. Went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou, Mr. Lawyer, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. The title of my message is taken from the four words in verse 35 Take care of him. Take care of him. Lord, please bless the preaching of your word. We're so spoiled here in America. Lord, we came in our air conditioned vehicles and we walked into what we expected was going to be an air conditioned room. And Lord, (laughs) sometimes it's laughable how often we get frustrated about things that you don't owe us at all. We are so truly thankful. Lord, we know that even if the entire building burned down this morning, we still would have been able to come here and Heritage Baptist Church still would have met. Lord, we're not looking for anything from this building. The lights could go out, the PA system could go crazy, which a lot of times we expect. Lord, we just need you to speak to us tonight. If we leave here sweaty and dirty and hot, but knowing that you spoke to us, Lord, I promise we'll respond if you do. That will be a night worthwhile. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. On Sunday night, yes, gentlemen, feel free. Take, your, take that suit jacket off. I'm still lasting, all right. On Sunday night, I preached a message that you received quite well. The altar was full. I believe the Spirit moved. I think I, I, it was encouraging to see how you responded. I, I saw people go up to other people after the service and thank those people for being a Barnabas to them. I saw people take newer people under their wing and go to the coffee shop or stay after in fellowship. It's a good thing. You you need to understand how encouraging it is to a preacher when he sees people respond to the message. It's the same as when when I see you come forward to the altar and when I see you immediately apply what has been told up here. It's not needed, but it is appreciated. It's, it's almost like going to a restaurant and saying, give my compliments to the chef. Whether you give your compliments to the chef or not, you enjoyed the meal and you'll probably come back. But when you take that extra step, it, it means something. And I was encouraged to see it. And I think you responded the way that you did because you are beginning Your eyes are beginning to open to how important it is to be kind to the people that come our way, to reach out to the new people that come to our church. And I prayed all throughout this week, and I prayed certainly before I came in here, that the Lord would continue to open your eyes tonight through this message, that I'm going to continue to preach on this matter of being welcoming and kind and merciful to people that God brings to us. I want the importance of being merciful and kind to people that God brings to Just focus up here, people, it's all right, it's all right. People, people move and kids, kids walk, it's all right, focus up here. I want the importance of being merciful and kind and loving to new people to to fill your hearts so much that it has to come out in your actions. I want it to be second nature to you. I wanna give even more biblical incentive for you to be a kind and caring church. I wanna give even more biblical incentive than I did on Sunday for you to help those who have been damaged by this world to find healing in this place as you have found healing in this place. Have you not found healing in this place at some point or another? Have you not said even recently, some of you, I don't know what I would do without my church family. There is something special about this. There is something special when brotherly love and brotherly unity is there, how good and pleasant it is. For God's people to dwell in unity. And don't think that just because people meet under a building with the word church out front on the sign, don't think that that means they're in unity. Don't take what we have here for granted. You need to protect it. And I want to give you even more biblical incentive to allow other people to be a part of that. Now, the biblical incentive that I gave to you on Sunday night was when you are welcoming to somebody, you have no idea who you're welcoming You might welcome somebody who does so much for the work of God, and that all goes to your account. That's a pretty good incentive. That's a pretty good uh, eternal incentive. Do you realize that anybody here who had any type of influence over Christian and Alana Hack, and I know that their story is just being written, and there's a lot of the story left to be written, But do you realize that any influence that you had over those people, that couple, when they go to be a missionary in Portugal, any fruit that happens to their account will go to your account as well. That's a pretty good investment. Tonight's eternal incentive, tonight's biblical incentive, is what happens if all of your work doesn't come to anything at all? What happens if all of your work doesn't seem... To bring a return on your investment. Is the only reason we reach out to people because we're hoping that they'll be a Paul or we're hoping that we'll be, they'll be a Peter or we're hoping that they are going to add spiritual blessings to our account? Is that the only reason we do it? Or do we do it because we are simply told to and we need to obey? Right. But regardless, I want to show you that God is so kind that even when there is no tangible evidence of a return on your investment, there's still good biblical incentive to welcome new people and to be kind to new people. How I'll put it today is to take care of somebody. I want us to see the desire that God has for us to take our inward and selfish eyes, which are natural, off of ourselves, and put them on somebody else. No church has ever prospered by focusing on the wants of themselves. Every church that has ever prospered, and I know that's very hyperbolic, but it's it's okay, hyperbole fits here. Every church that has ever prospered has had to learn to take their eyes off of what they want and put their eyes off of what or onto what he wants and specifically what they need. So this story of the wounded traveler, we'll come come to this at the end, okay? What what is the name of this story? What what do people refer to this story as? The what Samaritan? The Good Samaritan. Do you notice he is never referred to that, referred to as that in scripture? That is not a biblical name. That is not a biblical reference to this person. Just calls him the Samaritan. But what does the world call him? The good Samaritan. If you went out to the mall right now and said, I want to tell you about the Samaritan, people have no clue what you're talking about. But as soon as you say, even somebody who doesn't know the Bible, as soon as you say, I want to talk to you about the good Samaritan, they know exactly who you're talking about. They might not know the story fully, but they know the character. We'll come back to that in a little bit. I'm going to refer to it as the story of this wounded traveler for a little bit. This is given by Jesus in response to a lawyer's question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And it doesn't take long to realize he doesn't care about getting Jesus's answer. He only wants to justify himself before Jesus. He only wants to argue the fact that he has already done everything that is necessary in order to inherit eternal life. He believed that he had already succeeded in loving the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and and strength. And he had already succeeded in loving his neighbor as himself. Jesus' answer with this story is going to combat, challenge, and destroy that man's false belief. No Jew would ever consider that the requirements of loving your neighbor passed on to somebody as filthy as a Samaritan Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated Jews. You remember Jesus's interaction with the woman at the well at Sychar, a Samaritan woman. When he starts to talk to her, her response is why do you have anything to do with me, seeing that you are a Jew? They did not like each other. A Jew considered a Samaritan inferior, not worth the breath to insult them. A Samaritan considered a Jew pompous and arrogant, not worth the arrow to shoot at them. They did not get along. And yet in Jesus's story, when a Jewish traveler, he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, when a Jewish traveler falls among thieves and is left half dead and a Jewish priest walks by, the Jewish priest shows him no mercy. And then a little later, a Levite, another Jew, passes by him, shows him no mercy. But when a Samaritan walks by him, Jesus says he had compassion on him. And in verse 34, took care of him. Which leads Jesus to ask this question to the lawyer. Which of those three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of those three was neighbor to the man who fell among thieves, the one who showed mercy. Go and do thou likewise. Go and be merciful to more than just the people that you like. Go and have compassion on those that have been wounded by the evil of this world. Go and let that compassion in your heart incite action in your hands. Don't just feel bad for him. Don't just have compassion. Show compassion on that person. Go and tend to their wounds. Go, think, think of what else is implied in the Samaritan's story. Go and spend of your time And go and spend of your substance to help them heal. Go and suffer inconvenience to ease their suffering. Go and take care of even those who hate you. Now, Jesus had already said earlier in his ministry on the Sermon on the Mount, if you're going to set your level of righteousness based on what the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers do, you will shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And what the Pharisees tell you is love them that love you and hate them that hate you. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Be kind unto them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. Mr. Lawyer, if you want to know who your neighbor is, your neighbor is anybody that needs you. So go and do likewise like that Samaritan and take care of even those who hate you. Take care of those even who can't pay you back. Take care of even those who don't deserve it. And isn't that implied in the word mercy? He that showed mercy on him. Mercy is not giving some, somebody something that they deserve. And the implication is given That the Samaritan had reason to walk past that person, but he showed mercy instead. Go and show mercy. Go and be like that Samaritan. Now that's the primary application. Do we get? Do we get this? I'm going to need you to use your imagination tonight. I'm going to need you to make some spiritual leaps. I can approach this like I was talking to first graders, or I can approach this like I was talking to. People who are paying attention and following along. And that's what I'm going to do because I I, I believe you can handle it. I'm complimenting you tonight, okay? I could put things really on the bottom shelf, but I think you'll enjoy getting the stool of your mind out and reaching up to get it, because you can reach it, I promise, and I know it's Wednesday night, but focus in, and I think if you follow along, you'll enjoy it even more, okay? Now, that is the primary application. Do we understand that when Jesus says, go and do thou likewise, he's making it very clear. The purpose of this story is to make you see that your goal is to be like the Samaritan right nobody would argue with that perfect now this leads me to this question if Jesus says your goal is to be like the Samaritan that's clear but my question is who is the greatest example of that Samaritan who is the greatest living example who exemplified the ministry of the Samaritan more than any other person who ever lived who has shown the most compassion on those who have been wounded by the evil of this world? Who always let the compassion of his heart come out in the actions of his hands? Who has tended to the most worldly wounds by pouring in the oil of his spirit and the wine of his blood? Has anybody spent more time and substance to, keep, to help people heal other than Jesus? Has anybody suffered more inconvenience to ease somebody else's suffering more than Jesus has? Has anybody taken more care of people expecting nothing in return? Here is love, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us while we were yet sinners. Has anybody given more expecting nothing in return other than Jesus? We have no greater example to follow than Jesus. So the point that I'm bringing out is while we are commanded to be like the Samaritan, Jesus is the Samaritan. Now with that thought in mind, I want to extract and apply, again, knowing it's not the primary application. If somebody in here is is grading me on homiletics and hermeneutics today, and hermeneutics is not a person. Hermeneutics is like the study of, Something to do with preaching, I don't know. I wish to extract and apply a lesson to us from another character in this story. Now, you need to understand, you realize at any time, we have probably been one, if not all of the characters in this story. Sometimes we've been the priest. Sometimes we've been the Levite. At one point, all of us were the wounded man. And if you're not saved, you still are. Hopefully there have been times where we've been the Samaritan. But I want to focus on the innkeeper. I want to focus on the one that the Bible calls the host. Spiritual leap time. Maybe I'll give you some type of hint when it's time to take a spiritual leap. I don't know what I'll do. Maybe I'll wave, I'll wave like this, okay? When it's spiritual leap time. I want to focus on the innkeeper. The the one who was left in charge of the care of that wounded man while the Samaritan was gone. You're following. Verse 34 says this about the Samaritan. The Samaritan took care of him. Verse 35, the Samaritan tells the host, take care of him. Jesus' primary lesson is for us to be like the Samaritan, right? And we'll come back to that at the end. My argument is if we can be, the, the, being like the Samaritan is the goal, the peak of this story. If we can be challenged to be like the Samaritan, if we can be challenged to show the kind of mercy and compassion of the Samaritan, how much more can we be expected to be like the host? If we can be commanded by God to be like that Samaritan, show mercy and compassion to those whom you come across on your own, how much more can we expect to show mercy and compassion to those whom the Lord brings to us. If Jesus believes you're capable, you are capable of being like that Samaritan, go and do thou likewise. If he believes that we're capable of that, surely he believes we're capable of being like the host. Now look with me at what happens to the host and a lot of this is gonna happen. And I'll stop doing this if I just see you shaking your head and and nodding and giving some grunts and groans every now and then, okay? I can tell when you're thinking. I have points. I have four points. And I I don't know what I'm going to do. I I feel like if I were to give you the points throughout the message, it will make it harder to preach. But I feel like if I don't give the points to you, it'll make it harder to listen. So here's what I'm, I'm just going to give you all the points now. I'm gonna give you all the points now and then we're just gonna run through them. I'm not gonna tell you, okay, we're transitioning from point one to point two, okay? I'm not not gonna do that. We're just gonna run all through them. But I'm gonna give you the checkpoints along the way, okay? So checkpoint number one, we're gonna talk about the trust in the host. Checkpoint number two, I'll start talking about the effort of the host. Checkpoint number three, Ooh, what is checkpoint number three? Hang on. Oh, the provision for the host, and then checkpoint number four is the promise to the host. So what's checkpoint number one? Trust. The trust in, trust in the host. Number two? Effort of. Number three? Provision for. Number four? Promise to, perfect. I'm not gonna make any mention to the, to the points again, okay? so. The Samaritan, think think of what happens in this story. The Samaritan finds somebody who has been damaged, left for dead by thieves. So the Samaritan goes out of his way, gives of his substance, gives of his time because he has compassion upon this man. And part of the Samaritan's process of taking care of this man, part of the Samaritan's process of bringing healing to this man is to bring him to an inn, a place of rest, a place of safety, a place of food, a place of warmth. And in that inn, the Samaritan took care of him. However, the Samaritan couldn't stay. There came a time when the Samaritan had to leave, but his compassion that he had for that man still remained, so the Samaritan approached the host and said, I have to go away now. While I'm gone, you take care of him as I have taken care of him. The Samaritan, tr- uh, yeah, the Samaritan trusted that host to continue the ministry of healing that he had begun. The Samaritan trusted that host to be an extension of, of his compassion, an extension of his mercy that he had shown on that wounded traveler. Jesus goes to where the wounded ones are and he has great compassion on them and he shows great mercy to them and he begins a work of healing in the lives of those people. But part of the process To bring healing to those people is to bring them to a place of rest, a place of safety, a place of warmth, (laughs) a, a place of food, so that the host can continue the work that he began. So that the host can take care of this wounded person the way that he took care Of the wounded person. Now that's a lot of trust. That is a lot of trust that the Samaritan places on the host. That is a lot, that's an important ministry that the Samaritan is entrusting to the host to continue for him. And I just have a question for you. After all the time and the effort spent by the Samaritan on behalf of this wounded traveler, how do you think he would feel? If when he comes back, he finds out that the host did not take care of the person like he told him to. Now, fulfilling the Samaritan's wishes was no easy task. Think of what fell upon the host in order to take care of him. It required focus. None of the host's other responsibilities just melted away. He still had a family. He still had other guests in the inn that he needed to care for. He still had work in order to attend to, but in order to take care of him, he had to place special focus on him because this man is wounded. This man is weak. This man is leaning more towards death than he is life. Unless somebody helps this man, he will not make it. This man needed the host more than any other person in his life. It required focus. It required time. The wounded man isn't making his own meals right now. He's not able to even... Complete, necessary, daily tasks, if you're catching my drift, because of his state right now. He's not doing his own laundry. He's not dressing his own wounds. Who's he going to converse with? Who's he going to talk with? Because one thing that the Bible teaches me is a spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. The focus of this host is not just to take care of him physically, but to take care of him spiritually. Make sure not only that his body is healing, but that his mind is healing. So it required time. It required focus. It required patience. How long is it going to take this man to heal? We don't know. They didn't have x-ray machines back then. Doc Baker wasn't traveling around with his little black bag looking and asking what was going on. Now they had doctors, but they certainly weren't advanced like we were. And I think the more and more time went on, the the deeper it revealed just how severe his wounds were. It required patience. It required kindness. Have you ever had a rude nurse? No bedside manner? At that point, leave me alone. I would rather you just, I remember one time my wife was in and there was one rude nurse. We still remember her name, Marisol. That was her name. Please forgive me if if your Mimi is named Marisol. I'm sure it was not her. She was in Chicago. Marisol was rude. And every time she came in, no matter what she did for her body, her mind was gone. By the time Marisol left, so it's not just taking care of him, it's taking care of him with kindness. It's taking care of him with compassion. It's having a smile, it's singing, it's asking how his day is going and going above and beyond to make sure you're not just tending to his wounds, but you're tending to his mind. In order to take care of him, here's all I'm trying to bring out. The focus of the host's life had to change. There are only so many hours in the day. It's not like when the Samaritan said, you now take care of him. He could just, okay, I'll just take all of this and this and this out of my schedule and point all of that time at him. He had to learn how to juggle all that he had already been doing, also focusing on this person. He had to spend some of the time, in order to take care of him, he had to spend some time that he used to use to take care of other things to take care of him. He had to spend some time that he used to, that he used to use resting behind the front desk when there was nothing going on at the end. He had to use that time instead now to check in on him. He had to spend some of the time that he used to use having lunch with friends, spoon feeding him. He now had to spend some of the time that he used to use to maybe leave work early and go and watch a game of, of some sort. But now he's staying late, because taking care of him is a pretty much all-day process. He had to spend some of the time that he used to use on Sunday afternoon, watching the Cowboys lose, (laughs) to come early to find somebody that he could sit by. He had to spend some of the time that he used to use to go out to eat after service to spend time with him. And maybe instead of going out to eat like he usually does with his friends, I'm going to spend that time to go to courtyard coffee with him. I'm going to spend that time out in the courtyard talking with her. He had to spend some of the time that he used to use speaking with other people, speaking with him. He had to use some of the time that he used to spend on Thursdays and Friday nights just staying at home and resting. He had to spend that time inviting him over for dinner. Inviting her over for a meal. Great effort was required. It was required in order to take care of him The host's schedule had to become busier. The host's sleep had to become shorter. Some of you always say, you you need to sleep more. (sighs) Thank you. I I didn't think of that. (laughs) Church, you need to understand that when your ministry is people, when your ministry becomes taking care of him and taking care of her, and my ministry is taking care of him's and hers, your sleep has to become shorter. The host's mind had to become fuller. I've had some people tell me, you just have to learn how to shut it off. Not if you're going to take care of him. Your mind has to become fuller. And your stress has to become higher. I'm starting to wear this thing now. It's a Fitbit. You know what it tells me? I'm stressed out. But it's just cool to see it on a graph. His responsibilities had to become larger or that wounded man never would have made it. How about this one? His expenses had to become greater. You think it it costs money to take care of that guy? Oh, yeah, it costs money. But I love this. I love this. When the Samaritan departed, he, the Samaritan, took out two pence and gave them to the host and said, use these and take care of him. Taking care of this man would not only cost time, it would cost money. But the Samaritan was sure. To cover it. The Samaritan not only gave the command to take care of him, he supplied the demand to take care of him. When you take care of wounded people that God has brought your way, it will cost you something, but God will help you. God will help you take care of them. Now we have to talk about this. Two pence. A lot or a little? Come on, a lot or a little? Some of you are scared. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> That's like in the true or false questions. You you put the T with a little, with the little stem there, right? Did you ever do that? You were probably a goody two shoes. Did you ever do that? Yeah. You. Everybody did. Come on. Now all of you kids who haven't heard this trick, shush, okay, just don't don't listen right now. Plug your ears. All of you plug your ears. But when you don't know if it's true, no, I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to do it. Bad influence, bad influence. <clears throat> a, a, a lot or a little? What is 2 pence? Guys, it's a little. That's that's not a lot of money, okay? So what what do we take from that? Okay? And I want you to engage your brain for a little bit. In those times, that would have allowed the host, if I'm doing my math correctly, that would have allowed the host to take care of just that just that man for maybe two weeks if nothing really went wrong with his health or, or anything, or if he wasn't an expensive eater. Maybe two weeks at most. So what does the, the two pence mean where he says, use this to take care of him? So, some commentators try to make the argument that two pence is actually a lot of money. And and it's showing that the Samaritan spared no expense in order to take care of this person. Now, we already know he he spared no expense. I mean, he poured in his own oil and wine and he put him on his own beast and put him up in the inn for a a night. Okay, he already spared no expense. So, to, to say that two pence actually is a lot of money is not the way to go. Like the Samaritan was rich and he gave all of this money, two pence. No, that doesn't fly with me. So then other people make the argument, well, he only gave two pence because the Samaritan was poor. And he could not give more than that, but he gave all that he could. Is it possible? Yeah, but I'll I'll poke a couple holes in that argument right away. If he was really poor, to give away two weeks worth of food is significant, and it would certainly show that he spared no expense. So that's, that's one possible hole in it. But here's another one. If, if he was poor, how would he have the confidence to tell the innkeeper, when I come back, I'm covering everything? Anything that you spend above and beyond, I'll cover it. If he was poor, I don't know that he would have a lot of confidence to say that. So what, are the, what does the two pence mean, if it's only going to last for a, a, a couple weeks? Here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. I believe the Samaritan could have given more, but he gave the host two pence to send one message. And the message was not to say I'm poor. And the message was not to say I'm cheap. We certainly know he wasn't cheap. I mean, read verse 34. He gave that small amount to show the host, I don't plan on being gone very long. Take care of him for me while I'm gone. I know these two pence don't seem like much, but they should cover everything because I'll be back soon. The ministry of mercy that we are continuing for the Lord is going to cost us something. He will always help us to take care for them and may not seem like much, but it's only because he's not going to be gone very long. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. There is... A possibility that we cannot overlook here. And it's a possibility that the Samaritan himself acknowledges. These two pence that I am giving you may not cover everything that is required in order to take care of him. Follow along with me. Taking care of him may require sacrifice on your part. Taking care of him may cost you more than I have initially provided. You may have to give of your own substance in order to take care of this person. But don't worry. I'm making you a promise. When I come back, whatsoever thou spendest more, I will repay thee. Amen. Amen. When you seek to take care of the wounded in this world, there will be times where you must give to them what you usually spend on yourself. There, there will be times when you must sacrifice, but you can never outgive God. He sees every moment that you share to take care of Him. He sees every dollar that you spend to take care of her. He sees every thought that you think in order to take care of that person. He sees every prayer that you lift while taking care of that person. He sees every word that you speak in order to care for that person. And God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward him in that ye have ministered unto the saints and do minister. There is nothing that you can give in taking care of him that God will not either supply today or repay today. That day, nothing. Sir, ma'am, church, take care of him for me. That new person that comes in, take care of them. That lost person that comes through that's struggling with drugs and alcohol and addiction... That single mother that comes through that's being ripped apart by a relationship that she used to really care about. Take care of her. I won't be gone long. But if you have to sacrifice of your own substance to take care of that person, I promise you, you will be repaid. No cost that you incur will be overlooked. Don't be afraid to spend what is necessary in order to care for that person. There will be no charge to you in the end. So by the way, don't charge them either. Don't look at that wounded person and say, you know, this is costing me a lot of time. Don't look at that new person. Don't look at that weaker person. Don't look at that person who was left half dead by the devil and say, you know, I've been spending a lot of time with you and you're really not giving a lot back. You know these wounds that I've been trying to help you heal are a lot deeper than I thought, and I think I bit off more than more than I could chew. When are you going to start pulling your own weight? You know what? I'll take you out to eat again, but this time you're buying. We'll go to a Courtyard Coffee again, but are, are you gonna are you gonna pay this time? Because I'm getting kind of sick of spending all the money here. No, 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 no. You take care of him and when I come back again, I will repay you for everything that you've spent. So, th- oh, hmm, this is good. So then one might ask, if the Samaritan was able to cover everything, why didn't he just do that from the beginning? Why only give two pence? Why not just cover it all from the beginning? Well, what is, what is Jesus' primary intention for us in this story? Who does he want us to be like? The Samaritan. the Samaritan, right? We remember that. Not the host, the Samaritan. He wants us to be like the person who was willing to sacrifice for a wounded and weak man that could not pay him back. That's who he wants us to be like. Well, now the host has a perfect opportunity to sacrifice himself. Now the host has a perfect opportunity to show whether or not he's willing to sacrifice also. If taking care of him meant sacrifice, would the host still show compassion the way that the Samaritan showed compassion? Would the host bind up his wounds at his own cost as the Samaritan bound up the wounds of that traveler through his own materials? Would the host sacrifice his own oil and wine as the Samaritan did? Would the host sacrifice of his own conveniences as the Samaritan did? Would the host take care of him no matter the cost like the Samaritan did? Because in continuing the sacrificial ministry of the Samaritan, the host could become just like the Samaritan, which was God's intention in the first place. Why does this world call the Samaritan good? Why? Why, does he ref- why do they refer to him as good? Because he sacrificed to take care of somebody who was wounded. Well, in that case, we can just as truthfully call the host good. Because just as the Samaritan sacrificed to begin the work of healing in that man, the host had to sacrifice to continue it. Until the Samaritan came back. But both, I want you to notice, the Bible says both the Samaritan and the host had a part in the man's healing. Both had a part. Both took care. So what does it all mean? Our church needs to see every single new person that walks through that door. Our church needs to see every new family, every wounded soul and life. And you better believe, whether they walk through that door smiling or crying, they're broken or breaking about something. Everybody that walks through that door has been wounded by thieves. Somebody who came upon them when they were not expecting and took from them what they never expected to lose. And our church needs to see every single person as if Jesus was walking them in and saying, I have to go away, take care of him for me. Take care of her for me. I won't be gone long I've started the ministry of healing in their life, but they've got a long way to go. There's a long road of recovery ahead and I need your help. I won't be gone long and I'll help you along the way, but there may come a time where taking care of him and taking care of her is gonna cost you more than I have initially given you. There, it, there may come a time where taking care, when taking care of them is going to make you sacrifice something. But don't be afraid. Don't hold back from spending and being spent on their behalf because when I come back, I will repay you for everything that you have spent in order to take care of them. What an incredible opportunity the church has to continue the work in somebody's life that Jesus has begun. What a great amount of trust he's put into us. I believe on Sunday we began to open our eyes to this fact. And there is great incentive for it. You never know who you're welcoming. They might turn out to be... They could be the next pastor of this church. They could be the next pastor of a church far greater than Heritage Baptist Church could ever be. What an incentive. Reach out. Welcome somebody. Be a Barnabas. But even if that never happens and even if it costs you great expense, here's your other incentive. Jesus promises, I see all of it. I keep a record of all of it and nothing you spend will go unnoticed. Our goal is to be like the Samaritan, and we should not rest until we are. But until then, what better practice, what better practice is there than to be a good host to the ones that God brings to us, no matter what the cost may be. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.